This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute legal, tax, investment, financial, or other advice. It is not intended to cause or induce breach of an existing agency agreement. Hello? 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 This is the Vancouver Weather State Podcast. And welcome back to Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Scalina. And I'm your other host, Matt Scalina. And Matt, today we've got a fantastic episode. We've got Simon Bray. He's the president of REW, and he's joined us in studio. Third time on the show. Third time on the show. I feel like we have him on early in the year, once a year now. He's kind of a go-to past guest fan favorite. A couple things about Simon and this conversation. One, I feel like he's kind of got life dialed. He's a South African guy. He's been in Vancouver for uh, the last couple of years. Lived all over. Lived all over the world, been in the real estate tech space across different continents, which is really interesting for how he looks at REW, Vancouver, and also their expansion, which is one thing. But secondly, the data, man, the data that REW has. Yeah, the data, man. The, it's groovy, man. <laughs> that's, a, that's the thing. And that's how they talk about it. Uh, here's the thing that I love about talking with Simon. Like, first of all, I feel like he's so well-rounded, he can talk to anything. But one of the interesting points that comes up in this conversation is how Canadian real estate's kind of a tough nut to crack. Right. So we kind of dig into why that is. And his perspective is super valuable because he's lived, he's lived in Latin America. He's lived kind of all over the world. And he's, he's knows about what's going on in every market he lived in Spain. Yeah. And he, he knows also, yeah, in Europe, I guess. And I thought he lived in, uh, yeah, no, he's he, been, he seems he, to know about, he's I a think guy he that's traveled a lot everywhere. from Europe. Yeah. But he's anyway, he knows everywhere. a lot of different real estate markets and, yeah. and how they've have or have not been disrupted. Exactly. Exactly. And, and so this is, that's one com- part of the conversation. That's fantastic. The other thing is, is they're dealing with kind of top of funnel data they're constantly watching what's going on, like where users, because you can imagine REW is a, a massive search platform for Western Canada, one of the biggest, if not the biggest in BC. And this is something that they are tracking what users are looking at, the number of users coming and using their platform. The demographics, how old people are, where they're searching. Exactly. He, the, the type of information he has. And I feel like we're inside trading here. Yeah, exactly. And the, the last thing I'll say is, is that, and you said top of funnel, if people are looking at certain areas, certain property types right now, and you can see a bump in what people are looking at, chances are within six months, there's going to be some purchases. So this is like, this is forecasting. This isn't sitting back thinking what's going to happen. REW has, has a line on, you know, a better line than most on what is going to happen. So yeah. stay tuned for that. The last thing I'll say, Adam, real estate technology and disruptions, interesting all of the the forecasting and market that is interesting. I feel like the hybrid work component, we talk about our people coming back to the office. What does that look like? And he's got a very interesting perspective, I would he's, say. He's the perfect guy to talk to because he's, first of all, he's the president. So he's, he's kind of, he's, he's the there. boss. He's there yeah. day, day and in, he's, day out. And he's engaging with this issue day in, right. day out. And that's the thing. And they've got, they've got employees working from home across the country, right? So this is something that is really interesting. It's also interesting from 
just the insight into where young people in the tech space are doing work from home. Cause he was saying a lot of his, his employees are now in, in Calgary and kind of throughout Alberta, yeah. which it's is an affordability is, play. Yeah, exactly. So it's fascinating conversation with Simon. Can't wait to get to that. Matt, before we cut to our conversation with Simon, we had a lot of interest on a couple posts we had on We've Instagram. We've started to make, you're Insta famous. We've started to make posts on Instagram. We've been talking about t-shirts and Instagram for a while now. We're getting serious. You know, Matt, we did two posts so far, but they've had a lot of engagement. One is talking about, we're, here's what we're doing. Here's the concept. The great stuff that you hear on the show or great stuff that's uh, conversations that we're having in our, our day in, day out. We're putting, inspired by Clint Murphy, I think, in a lot of ways, we're putting some threads up. Clint's a North um, Star. Clint, Clint's a bit of a North Star. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But we're putting some threads up that are really kind of geographically focused on real estate in BC. The first one that we put up was Scott Brown's selections for the four markets that every investor should be watching in, in the province. The second one that you put up was your biggest takeaway three simple numbers that will change the way you think about Vancouver real estate from our conversation with Brendan Ogmanson. And not this conversation. That was a couple ago that actually it's just, I've been thinking about it ever since. Yeah, exactly. So this is, this is, these are the type of posts that we're doing. We're going through the back catalog and we're having conversations day in, day out about interesting things about the market and we're sharing them on our Instagram. So if you are on Instagram, make sure you give us a follow at Vancouver real estate podcast. Absolutely. But maybe we should cut to our talk with Simon Bray. This is a great one. This podcast is sponsored by Marcon, a local family-owned and managed real estate development and construction company that's been around for nearly four decades. Marcon is not only committed to high-quality construction, but it also is making a positive impact in the communities in which it builds all across the Lower Mainland. We want to highlight two incredible Marcon projects. Elmwood, a 38-story tower located at Burquitlam's most important intersection, Como Lake Avenue and Clark Road. This landmark tower will feature 335 condominiums, over 37,000 square feet of office and retail space, and almost 20,000 square feet of amenity space. Elmwood has been incredibly popular with 80% sold currently, but they still have a great selection of junior one-bedroom all the way to three-bedroom homes remaining. Check out markon.ca slash Elmwood for more. And Matt, we are also excited about Sone House, Markon's newest community in West Coquitlam. With 165 homes ranging from junior one beds to three beds, Sone House offers the perfect West Coast aesthetic with a more nuanced Nordic-inspired design. Register today at markon.ca slash Sonehouse. That's S-O-E-N-H-A-U-S. Or you can learn more at markon.ca or follow them at Instagram at Markon Homes. Mark on building for life. Okay, so we're here with Simon Bray, president of REW. How you doing, Simon? Yeah, good. Good to see you guys. I was gonna say past guest fan favorite for sure. I think this is your third time on the show. Is it? Hey? I think yeah. so. I think so. Well, I'm coming Who's up coming? on three years in Vancouver, so it makes sense. Yeah, perfect. Our annual meeting. Well, great to have you back, Simon. Thank you. Thank and, you. Good to be here, guys. And at five times, you get the jacket, the five-timer club. <laughs> perfect. So <laughs> we'll, we'll look It better be to that, that sort of REW yellow. Yeah. No, none, yeah. Of, none of these uh, <laughs> master's green jackets. It's the Century 21 gold. <laughs> <laughs> perfect, perfect. So, Simon, can you start by maybe telling some of our listeners a little bit about yourself? 
Sure, sure. So, I mean, I guess, what do I do? I run rew.ca, Real Estate Works, BC's biggest real estate search platform and expanding fast across other markets in Canada. And basically that means thinking about the digital experience, thinking about the products and services that uh, realtors and developers need to access our home seeker community and really just guiding people to their next home. Now, I got to ask this because we've got some clients that call it Rue. Yeah. Is anyone in the office? There's no actually... wrong way to say it. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> all, all, all is welcome, except I guess we're trying to move away from Real Estate Weekly. You know, Real Estate Weekly is the legacy brand. It's the newspaper heritage. We're very proud of the fact that the business has been going like 40 years, but it feels like we're, we're not a weekly publication anymore. We're an always on digital experience. So, right. so REW, Real Estate Works are preferable, but if, if you want to call it Rue, by all means. This market moves too quickly to just update people weekly. Yeah, exactly. With a hard copy. <laughs> 100%. Simon, I'm just wondering, in, it's a curious moment, right? Because in busy markets, it seems like you see a bunch of usually tech entrepreneurs come into the space and to disrupt real estate. And then over the last couple of months, we've seen some people exit the space. You mentioned REW's expanding across the country. What's the competition like? And do you find right now, is competition getting more fierce or is it is this an opportunity for REW? Yeah, definitely a thinning of the herd. I mean, you, you were talking about real estate being a sector that attracts a lot of capital and a lot of good ideas and, and entrepreneurship. And that's never really going to change. But certainly when there's a boom cycle, everybody wants in. Everybody's piling in with new ideas and they're getting the runway to go and execute those new ideas. And I think that's cool because that's how the market moves forward. But there definitely is something to say for these lean periods, these, these kind of bust cycles where you've got to really double down on business models that work and you've got to figure out what's really adding value and what's just marketing hype. And we're definitely in one of those cycles now. And, and, and by no means am I saying some of the guys that are feeling the pressure and leaving the space had just marketing hype ideas. I mean, some of the biggest companies in real estate technology have been making decisions to pull out of the Canadian market or downsize their operations or, you know, retrench staff. Pretty much all of the big prop tech players have been downsizing teams, which I mean, it isn't cool for the people that are leaving the businesses and it's not great for the sector either. But yeah, definitely a, a tough time. But those tough times, especially for businesses like ours that have been around for as long as we have and prefer to go slow, conservative, effective, uh, as opposed to all or nothing. I think it's a good time for us. It's a good opportunity to keep expanding the service and to be more relevant and valuable to the to the customers that we serve. Because there's so many major players in the U.S. that either don't come to Canada or think they're coming to Canada and then they decide to pull out. Are we a tough nut to crack because of like the way how, how the provinces are and how everything seems very kind of... Or is the market just too small? Or is the market too becomes... small? Yeah. So that is a... Is a bit of a Canadianism, this idea that your market's a small market. Uh, it's, you know, it's small relative to the... Yeah, <laughs> it's, yeah, it's small relative to the guy next door. But, you know, if you look at it, global competitors or global comparables, like the Australian real estate market, the UK, Western European markets, and Canada are all very equivalent in 
commission pools, uh, you know, number of agents, the depth of the real estate industry in terms of different service providers and and companies. So, so no, I definitely think it's not that it's too small. It's it is a hell of a tough nut to crack. Now, I wouldn't have said that two years ago when I was on your show. I would have viewed it, I think, a lot more myopically from the experience that I've had in other countries. But coming here, you do get just a sense that this is a federation, not a country. And that introduces like a real challenge to how you build out the business, this local market dynamic that's very present in real estate, but then kind of exaggerated by the geographic distances between those markets and the different cultural ways that those markets have kind of come to be established and different local competitor sets. Like every market has got a hyper-focused, aggressive set of competitors that when you're sitting all the way over here on the West Coast, you, you don't appreciate until you're really in their backyard trying to mix it with them. And so, yeah, it's a tough nut to crack. The, the kind of national platform is a tough space to play in. But that's not the game that we're in. I mean, I think obviously we're a national platform, but we've got to be relevant in each of the markets that we serve. That's interesting, the idea of Canada being clearly a federation as opposed to, we should say for people who haven't heard on the show before, like you've been originally from South Africa, but you've been basically working all over the world in the real estate tech sector, basically. Yeah, no, exactly. So I've worked in Western Europe, but the company that I was working with there, we had 63 countries as part of our operations. And so we got to experience real estate platforms and real estate advertising in all of those different markets. And it's very easy when you're doing that to kind of sit back and say, oh, well, Latin America, you know, it's just a region sure. and they're all the same. And, but then you go there and you experience the local dynamics and you, you meet the, the players in that space and you see the competitors focused at a local level and you realize that it's just silly to aggregate it up into a Latin America kind of definition. And the same is true here. You know, from a distance, it looks like the Canadian real estate market but in reality, it never really exists like that. Even at the BC level, I've been amazed at how different the regional markets are to one another. You know, the Okanagan versus the lower mainland versus the island. But, you know, it's like very different approaches in each of those spaces. And we have to adapt to that. And so that's been like very eye-opening for me. I didn't expect that coming in. We talk about that a lot on this show, like the skins of the onion almost. It's, it's like you can, you have to go deeper and deeper and deeper into each submarket. And it's sometimes crazy to read headlines like sales volume down or, or price drops or whatever when it's, when it's Maple Ridge maybe and, and, you know, the Valley bringing down prices or driving prices up. And, you know, people just read the headlines. It's, it's a, it is very tricky. Completely. So that's what home seekers see, which is this kind of like you've got a few national media players and you've got some strong regional media players. And so they want to make it about their market. But their market doesn't really matter to the home seeker that's looking for a house, as you say, in Tri-Cities or something. Sure. They need to get that much deeper. And, and that's what I think if you talk about the differences between a Canadian real estate and why it's maybe more difficult as a market to crack nationally, it's because there really is great expertise in real estate, great quality of experience with realtors and with the support structures and tools and systems around realtors in pretty much all of these local markets. And so a broad-based national player has got to do a lot of work to 
improve on the service and the experience that a highly expert and pretty sophisticated local real estate players are able to provide. That's different to, say, Western Europe, like, say, Spain. You know, I got some lovely people in Spain. I had an incredible opportunity to live there, but their real estate sector is not nearly as sophisticated as, as the Canadian real estate sector. And so national platforms and technology offerings can offer a better experience often than a local realtor can. And here we've got like the opposite dynamic. So anyway. Does that also indicate the type of competition in, in those markets? Like the less sophisticated it is, the more players you see going after those markets? Or is, is there a correlation there? Well, I just think the less sophisticated the players, generally the poorer the home seeker experience and the more room there is, the more opportunity there is for a broad technology player and platform to disrupt the relationship right. between local experts and, and home seekers. And that's what you definitely see play out in the US. Like there's specialist real estate markets in the US where the big platforms, all the names that you know, uh, don't have the traction that they have in the rest of the country. And it's in those other markets where, you know, property and real estate options are more commoditized. Perhaps you've got more people moving across boundaries of neighborhoods. And there's just generally a lower expertise amongst the real estate established industry. And those platforms do incredibly well in those markets. Right. And so I think Canada's a little bit like that. We've got a really high quality real estate industry. And I think that's great. And that's why in rethinking REW over the years, it's been about how can we better equip and better partner with those experts in the local markets to create a great home seeker experience because we still know that home seekers spend most of their time online. It's kind of like they'll find their house and then realtors will help them buy it. And so that still exists where we play a significant and outsized role in the find your house part. But it really is about partnering and bringing in the best real estate expertise and, and industry players that we can. It's not a disruptive or dislocated experience. Got it. Well, with that said, Simon, I'm curious to get to your perception on the market because obviously REW, as I understand, is I believe it's the largest search engine or search portal, whatever you'd call it, for, for looking for homes in the lower mainland. How is the market based on the data that you guys monitor? <laughs> so everything I've just said about the market being these hyperlocal pockets, you know, complicates a view of that. But absolutely, we're the biggest platform in terms of search and engagement with real estate kind of prior to the purchase process. And so you can use those statistics to get some sense of, of what's, what's happening in those markets. It is a very difficult time to kind of see any patterns. I mean, I think you guys would, would agree with that. The market that we've seen last year, it went from the crazy highs of January, February, sort of unprecedented records, both in terms of engagement on our platform, but also the actual sales that came downstream of that. And then it like inverted and, and we had these really lean months. But that's, even that is a simplification of what we saw because some months that you expected to be really strong, like September, were worse than August. And you're right. like, well, you know, what happened there? And so the seasonal pattern and the you know, sort of cyclical pattern in real estate has been completely upset in the last two, three years. And so it makes it very difficult to comment looking forward. 
what's going to happen. But certainly what's been happening is a very depressed real estate market. And you can chart that in people engaging REW. Is that right? Like when you completely, because yeah. presumably it's kind of top of the funnel, like people, when they start thinking about homes, they start browsing REWs, the kind of the first step in, in that process before they talk to a mortgage specialist, before they talk to a realtor, you start messing around on, on REW. Yeah. Messing around is right. You know, it's like. <laughs> Uh, whether you're checking out what your neighbor sold his house for, whether you're thinking about whether you, you're going to move, it's usually six to 12 months before you actually activate that process. And so, yeah, we see all of that traffic and, and we've got a number of different metrics levels that we can track. There's obviously the overall visitation. And because we're a platform all about real estate listings predominantly, people will go to the real estate listings that they're interested in. So you get this geographic reference. It's like visits in certain neighborhoods, visits on certain listings, visits that are hyper-local. It's not just platform-wide. But yeah, we see the session data. We see how many unique people that represents, where those people are searching from, where they're searching to, if you know what I mean, what real mm -hmm. estate they're looking at. And then the inquiry data, which is probably the most powerful leading indicator of sales. It's like how many people are making inquiries, booking tours, sharing with their agents. That's often like six weeks ahead of any inflection in sales data that you might see. Interesting. It's the inquire that that determines it, not the not the visits to this. Like, so yeah. is that kind of the top of the filter? Would you say? Or so if you go down the funnel, it'll be like, hey, you came to the site and you spent a bit of time looking at stuff, and then you started to zoom in on specific neighborhoods and spend more time around those, and then you set up some property alerts, and so. Each of those levels gives us a deeper sense of engagement and connection from a particular home seeker. And then ultimately, when that home seeker starts making inquiries or sharing listings with their agent, then you know it's game time. Now they're in the market. Right. Uh, so yeah, we see that funnel and then that's that's good indicator. And so what's been happening in the market, right. all those indicators have been read for for six months, seven months. I mean, we, we first started seeing this inflection, I want to say around March, 2022. Right. So, so, you know, we're going back almost a year now. Which is basically, we've been on the decline for nine months, which is literally March. So you, so yeah. that you saw that inflection point. Yeah. And then the absolute darkest days was December. And obviously that's the compounding effect of a quiet market and a seasonal in, in real estate. I mean, we all know the kind of seasonal pattern of real estate in December is definitely the lowest month usually. Right. And so you compound that with the fact that it's at the end of a long, hard year of increasing rates and external pressures on the real estate market. And yeah, we're pretty sure that's the bottom, but it was a long way off kind of what December 2021 looked like. We're talking 30 to 40% down on traffic and engagement and sessions, and in some cases, 50 to 60% down on inquiry volumes and the type of engagement that leads to transaction. And then you see that in play out in the, in the transaction numbers. So you look at the December transaction number, which was actually relative to new listings was pretty good. Yeah, there's no, the listings were pretty, that's the, cha the challenge with our market. There's yeah. Never, yeah, 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 there just weren't enough listings, but I think there were more sales than there were listings in December. So that's unusual anyway. But yeah, aside from that sort of anomaly, the December sales volumes weighed out, you know, so I think from September, we were starting to see that 50% 
lower sales volume versus prior year and versus historic average also significantly down. But then that's another story to kind of pick into is just how good was the market in 2021. And, and I think that's something that doesn't get talked about that often. We have a very short memory, right? In, in real estate and in life, yeah. we, you know, everything's year on year or quarter on quarter or, and we're not thinking about it in terms of longer cycles. And so this isn't too different to 2018, 2019 volume, mm. but it's, it was significantly down on a, a bumper year, 2021. Sure. And it, interestingly, before we went live, Simon, you were kind of making a point about factors and like a complicit or fatigued industry, of course, interest <laughs> rates. I think of, you know, Adam was fatigued. He was fatigued, but he was also <laughs> on paternity leave. And I don't mean to put that in quotation marks because you, you were, but two months, it was like, hey, we've had a couple really crazy years. Like it's time for a break. And I feel like when I went away at Christmas, I was thinking that's the first time since COVID I've went on a, like a serious, great vacation out of country. And I don't think I was alone based on the lines at the airport. So it seems like there's a bunch of different factors, not just, you know, the market basically that's coming funny. together. That's always true. It's like there's the market, there's external factors. And let's be honest, none of us can, can individually control what the Bank of Canada is doing. And that's had a big, big impact on the market. But then there's how we react to the news cycle around it. There's how we react to the actual realities. There's how we, you know, respond to clients. And you're 100% right. Like the pandemic happens. There's a huge downturn in housing like very, very quickly. But the reaction from real estate generally is, no, let's keep the lights on. Let's, let's do what we can to be an essential service. Let's help people move. This is a time to help people move. And that was part of the reason that the market recovered so quickly and went on the tear that it did because the real estate industry was like, you know, uh, rolling up their sleeves and making it happen. And then you're quite right, you know, long boom cycle, not everyone's done well, but a lot of people have done well through that process and a lot of sales have happened. And then the market turns around and it's like, yeah, you know, what goes up must come down. Take a break. Yeah. And I think there is an element to how we respond to it. And hopefully there's a new energy and a new enthusiasm coming into 2023 because I think there are some bright lights in, in our market for 2023, but it's going to require us kind of agreeing and working together to, to see it happen. So it sounds to me like if we were going to say 2021, like a headline would be the market is on fire. 2020, outlier. 2022 yeah. <laughs> is kind of what goes up must come down. Yeah. What would be the headline for 2023? Probably something like real estate rope-a-dope or something like that. I think what we're going to see in 2023 is the, the true resilience of the Vancouver, in particular, real estate market, but also the major metros across Canada. So the conditions aren't necessarily going to change. You know, interest rates aren't necessarily going to change quickly, but there's going to be a real, I think, there'll be a real resilience that you start to see in the market. So you start to see listing volumes pick back up even though we're not seeing that yet. And you'll see the demand that's actually there start to meet and match that supply that's coming into the market. And I don't see prices moving forward a whole lot, but I definitely see volumes moving forward a lot from the Q3, Q4 depression that we've seen recently. So yeah, probably resilience. And so 
I'm just thinking in terms of the numbers, 2022, it sounds like 30 to 40% off in terms of people engaging REW at the end of 2022. Is that, is that, do I have that right? Yeah. So, so towards the end of the year, 30, 40% down in actual audience volume and, and the top of the funnel, like, like headline engagement numbers, and then 50 to 60% off on the actual inquiry volumes and the urgent immediate intenders in the market significantly lower, but that's year on year, right? Mm -hmm. And so you've got to factor the fact that it was going crazy. 2021 was an outlier, right? You know, shave off 20% of that just for frenzy. And you kind of see that in the sales numbers. If you look at the sales numbers, the historic average, which you kind of go back 10 years and you plot a historic average, 2021 was a massive outlier, 35% above historic average in terms of sales volumes by the end of the year. 2022, we started like that. And then we lost ground, lost steam significantly, ended the year around 17% lower than historic average. And this year coming, you know, maybe we get back to, back to zero. <laughs> In your mind right now for REW, what are, what are the most interesting trends you're seeing in terms of how people are engaging your site? Yeah, I mean, there are some interesting trends that are popping up. We were just talking about the fact that the sales volume drop versus historic average at the end of 2022 was actually not that significant. Like we're talking about 15, 16, 17% down year on year. But what's underneath the surface of that is if you look at the real estate industry and the economy built around real estate, realtors and conveyances and the boards and all of the players that are involved, the commission pool has expanded significantly. So like, even though we've looked at 2019, 2018 volumes towards the end of 2022, the price growth has been so significant over the last three years that the commission pool is about $500 million bigger just in BC than it was in 2019. And I don't think a lot of players in the space really understand that. It's like mm. the volumes are doing what the volumes will do. They'll go up, they'll go down, they'll go sideways. But the price, this incremental price growth, whether it goes up fast or goes up a little, has been moving forward significantly. And so that's expanding the commission opportunity in the industry. And so that's an interesting trend that we don't know exactly how that'll play out, but it definitely makes room for the type of experiences and services and players in the market to continue to do what they do well we might see some agents retreat from the market because they're not part of the actual volume of sales. And, and we definitely saw a huge influx of agents into sure. the market in the last two years. But the guys that are doing a great job are going to continue to do very well. And I think through these periods, you see a concentration in the realtors and in the, the industry players that are offering a great service and great value. And if it does concentrate like that, that's actually a great story for those individuals and those businesses because the commission pools expanded. Mm -hmm. And so their, their share of that pool expands and the pool is bigger. So there's actually a huge commercial opportunity within the real estate space that I don't think people are talking about. We just talk about the market. Oh, it's down. That must mean it's terrible. But the expansion in prices have created a whole different story that no one's talking about. So that's one trend that I think is cool. I also think that's cool. I guess it's obvious. It's a, it's a commission-driven industry. It's a percentage of sales value 
that's going into the industry. So whether it's mortgage brokers or or realtors or platform players like ours that are affiliated with those two, the opportunity expands. And so your opportunity to deliver a better service and engage people well right. also expands. Uh, you know, it feels counterintuitive based on where the market is, but it's not. Right, right. Huh. So that's one of the trends. I think the other trend, which is pretty obvious to everybody that's in real estate, but it's worth describing, is for the last two, three years, we've actually seen this inverse correlation between price growth in real estate and distance from the center of major metros. So the further away you are, the greater the price growth has been. So, you know, Abbotsford, Chilliwack, Mission, like the prices have been going, you know, relative to where they were, big percentage increases. Right. That's completely reversed in the last six months. So, so we've seen that gap expand. If we saw over COVID a narrowing between pricing between the core and the suburbs, now we're seeing the gap growing. Completely. Back. Yeah. And that was fueled by a whole lot of sort of behavioral aspects as well as affordability opportunity. But, but yeah, now it's reversed. And the implication is that the gap between the values is narrowing, uh, sorry, expanding again. And it means that the price growth you can expect closer to the core is going to expand. So for the next two years, I think, again, it's, it's back to that traditional model of commute times matter. You know, the distance to the core metropolitan center matters. And that's definitely a trend that you're seeing. It reminds me of a, a talk that Matt and I gave at an investment summit early COVID days called Always Bet on the City, I think. Something like that. Something to that effect. But it was basically the prediction we made at that time by by the city in the in the city. And it was an opportunity to buy the by the city. And now and I think you're right. I think we're gonna see a huge, you know, hockey stick uptick on the city when the market comes back. And and is that being borne out in the search data? So can we talk about the busiest areas in the lower mainland right now? How's Maple Ridge doing? Yeah, not well. So that's exactly what we're seeing. We're seeing markets that are a little bit further out, like Surrey, Maple Ridge. I mean, Maple Ridge had the largest drop in detached home prices just in the last six months. And I think the they were one of the, the highest in terms so Absolutely. in terms of the story of what goes up must come down type, type thing. Maple Ridge, I think, is, is, captures that perfectly. And again, there are all sorts of like local impacts to that. You know, so you just read the, the data far away and you're like, oh, okay, this is what's happening there. But number of new housing starts and new housing opportunity, which really fueled that market for two, three years, that's declining a little bit. So the marketing frenzy around that market is, is dropping back right. a little bit. And then the traffic's just getting bad. You know, more and more people have moved further out there. Now they realize they need to actually commute more often and it's creating the, the traffic pinch. And so that's an example of like, again, yes, it's far away. Yes, these far away markets are seeing some price decreases, but they're seeing an outsized one. Why is that? And there's like all sorts of little hyper-local things underlying that. But yeah, uh, those, those areas aren't doing too well. And pretty much any area that's far away from the center are not doing too well. The stars are markets like Richmond and Burnaby. Those markets are doing really, really well in terms of search traffic and engagement. Right. And yeah, I, I expect that to continue. I think it's just a good mix of inventory that they've got in those markets. So you're talking about, you know, condo opportunities, 
you know, some townhome opportunities, but it's multifamily and and that's really where people are looking right now. So it's it's not Burnaby single family or Richmond single family as much as as we're talking multifamily townhomes yeah. and condos. Yeah, look, I mean, Vancouver is still a very strong kind of detached single family market. So you, you always see that, you know, pretty much keeping pace. But yeah, I think it's the mix of inventory that's driving the overall interest in those locations. It's like there's something for everyone and they're not too far from the core of the metro. And the price growth has been good over the last few years, expected to continue to be good. So I think there's a lot going for those kinds of markets. And I think the region is like a lot of the more master planned kind of communities and uh, like Brentwood, for example, it's coming into its own now. Like when you drive there, you're like, wow, this is not a rendition in a developer's display suite. This is, this is actually here and it's incredible, right? I'm so glad that you picked up on that because that has huge impact on how people perceive real estate markets. And so, you know, a lot of people will think about density in a, in a neighborhood and they, you know, if they live there, they don't like it. And if they want to live there, they obviously want to see more of that densification. But when you start seeing neighborhoods and communities come alive because master plan communities have been executed well and they're being lived in by residents and it changes the entire dynamic of, of that market. And so we want to see more of that, or at least I do, is I think there's no ways we can continue to expand the city and expand the opportunity for housing for people if we don't have these centers of excellent development, if, if you know what I mean. You kind right. of need to turn the lights on and then that grows an economy and a, a momentum of its own. Mm-hmm. So, so Burnaby and Richmond are, are the top performers. I have to ask North Van. I'm kind of curious because... That was such a busy market for so long over over the pandemic. How's I'm curious about North Van, and then uh, hopefully we can talk a little bit about Vancouver, where Kokomo Studios is. So uh, yeah, North Van, how's North Van doing? Yeah, North Van is is a very desirable market for a lot of people. I mean, if you look at the demographic trends that we've seen recently, the biggest challenge in the last six months has been for younger first time buyers. So you're talking about people trying to get into the market and we see the biggest drop in engagement, the biggest drop in, in kind of audience is in the 25 to 34 demographic. Interesting. So it's people saying, you know, uh, even though the prices have stopped going up, the interest rate is such that, you know, it's pricing me out of the market. Yeah. The monthly costs are just, it's unattainable. Yeah, like impossible. A, a million dollar loan with a 20% deposit, if you have it, that's the other kind of big hairy issue, is now a repayment of, you know, well over five and a half thousand dollars. I mean, that's on the lowest possible variable rates you can find. I mean, it's, it's a difficult market for people to get into if they're not in it already. And so we're seeing that in the demographic data. And so what does that mean? I think markets like North Van that are more family oriented, and, and the, the opportunities to kind of have a slightly bigger place and a community with, with schools and, you know, you sort of, that's the phase of life that it caters to. Mm-hmm. That's holding up pretty well because the 34 to, we'll call it 35 to 45 demographic has been relatively stable. Despite the drops in the market, we see the same sort of levels of engagement from those folks. So the demand for North Van certainly is still there. The 
listing inventory. That's the problem there is there's just not enough on the market or coming into the market. Mm -hmm. And so whatever does come into the market just gets absorbed pretty quickly. Uh, I think if there were a way to open up supply, then North Van could certainly grow. And maybe we should take a moment here to talk about Gen Z and millennials because last time you were on, that was like the momentum of searches, right? Was this new, this new group of, yeah. of home, home buyers. Now they've basically been smacked, right? Mm. Like smacked down and said, you know, you're not, you're not, uh, <laughs> you're not going to be able to do this. What, what, can you, can you talk a little bit about that? Like what, what's the implication of that? When you look at the demographic profile for the Canadian market and, you know, the number of people that still haven't adopted home ownership in the younger demographic, it's a really great story. It speaks to a significant pent-up opportunity, a pent-up demand of, of new homeowners. And so we still see that as like a macro driver. But as I just described, the fact that we're seeing people retreat, at least for now, from the idea of home ownership uh, is a concerning sign. I think for two reasons. Like One, the obvious financial prosperity opportunity that right. wealth building essentially yeah yeah i mean everybody likes to think about it as a free democratic society but it is a capitalist society and it's based on who has capital and who doesn't have capital and the people that are in the market even though the market is is slow right now are still in a better position than those that have yet to get into the market you know the younger de- generation is just getting pushed back a couple of years, mm-hmm. and it really is uh, difficult for them to enter. I'm not saying that they should make every effort to get into the real estate market now. Uh, it is a tough time to do it, but it's like it's like any investment advice that you give is is you can't time the market. It's time in the market that's important. And so the earlier that they get in, the more financial growth opportunity exists for anybody that's in the market. So that's the one implication is the financial implication, and the other is the societal one. You know, what does it do to the shape of future communities? We're already seeing such a fascinating uh, like labor market difference where the pandemic led to one of the lowest labor market participation rates from uh, people over 55. It's like they're kind of taking early retirement. And I think that's driven a little bit because their capital position has moved forward so significantly in 10 years that they maybe don't need to work or that feel they don't need to work. And then on the other side, the labor market participation rate from younger generations is as high as it's ever been in BC. So it's like up at 88, 90%. That's huge. We should be in a position now where those people that have good jobs that are participating in the labor market can actually live where they work, you know? And unfortunately, we're not seeing that. And that speaks to like a problem from a social point of view, if you get to that space where, yeah, you, you, know, you can be employed, but you can't afford to live the way that you want to live. And that's a, that's a dangerous point. Hey, everyone. Pardon the interruption. We just want to take a quick minute to thank the following sponsors who make this show possible. We want to take a minute to tell you about Holy House, a nonprofit organization that provides community building programs and tenant support services to low-income seniors, veterans, families, and vulnerable residents in the downtown east side and across the lower mainland. Melissa from our team has been volunteering at Holy House. 
Melissa, what's been your experience? Honestly, it's been so fulfilling just to spend a few hours a week in the community and watch how the staff really transforms these vulnerable communities from the inside out, starting with just small things, right? Playing games, drinking coffee, having some simple conversations that you wouldn't necessarily think are super fulfilling. And you come out just feeling like you've really made an impact and connected with the community. And you've been to multiple buildings, but you're playing games, drinking coffee. Yeah. You know, serving food sometimes. And you made some friends along the and way. I've made some friends along the way. It's really helped me be more present, actually, in those moments of just, you know, realizing how simple life can be to make an impact, right? Fantastic. And if you want to learn more, you can definitely check out Jenny Conkin, co-founder of Holy House, who is a past guest fan favorite on the show, or head over to holyhouse.ca where you can donate or volunteer. And they're looking for both donations and they definitely like volunteers. That's holyhouse.ca. Vancouver needs your help. Be part of the solution. We are also sponsored by Oakland Realty. This is our real estate brokerage, best brokerage in the city, hands down. If you are in the industry, a new agent, an aspiring agent, somebody just looking to make a change, new culture, new energy, new resources, head over to oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. That's oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. Not only do you get to meet Michael Morgan and the gang, the big wigs over at Oakland, you get a huge incentive for first going to oakland.com slash join, typing in VRP 2020. Do you see interest rates as if you know, if they drop 2%, let's say by early to mid 2024, does that lead to a, a, a spike there where actually prices have come down, interest rates come off, down payments are less than they were a year or two ago. Does that lead to another demand spike that we've seen kind of consistently over and over again? Or is this something that's kind of more of a longer term systematic issue. And I guess it obviously is a systematic issue because we've had a housing crisis now for, for we're going on decades. So this is where I start to get into territory that maybe I'm not qualified to speak about. <laughs> well, that makes all of, that's <laughs> the whole room, I guess. But I guess my opinion on it would be the only long-term solve for something like this is a significant increase in housing supply because the actual, you know, the, the, the interest rate Absolutely. If capital is inexpensive, then people can, can afford to pay the high prices. But then the problem with that is the high prices become even higher. And that's what we've seen is like every time there's, there's a reduction in the interest rate or capital availability or, you know, it, it drives a new demand surge in the market. But the reason that there's a demand surge is partly the investor speculation opportunity in real estate. And mostly the fact that people want good housing in a good city and that good housing in a good city, the only way we're really going to change that opportunity is if we build a lot more houses. And that's not an easy problem to solve because that's got a whole lot of, you know, like, where do you find the labor? Where do you find, you know, the kind of zoning opportunities? Who has a long-term enough view on the development of the city? To not think in two-year cycles, five-year cycles, or even be able to weather it, right? Like yeah. that—that's. I feel like it's a more difficult time to build right now than it than it's been for a long time, and that's saying something because yeah, it's it's always very challenging to build in Vancouver. Yeah, I think even the developers that have gone through the tough process of holding land, 
rezoning. You know, it's a multi-year process to get these projects even to break ground. Now they're facing this uphill battle of uh, trades availability and cost of inputs, you know, like materials and labor and everything else. And a question about uh, not necessarily the absorption rate of their projects, because make no mistake, if you want to sell it, you can sell it, but the price that they're going to sell them at. And obviously they're a commercial enterprise, so they want to sell it at the highest possible price. And with higher input costs, there's, there's just a desire to make a better margin or at least secure the margin that mm-hmm. they had initially projected. So all of that, as you say, is like a very difficult, intractable problem to solve. But I think far too much conversation happens about interest rate cycles, price growth or price drop, and government intervention, but in, in market dampening activities like, you know, uh, we're going to ban foreign buyers. We're going to, I mean, I was on your show a couple of years ago. I think I was talking about the fact that I was trapped in that foreign buyer tax net. Right. And it's just unnecessary. You know, it's like, I'm, I'm here, I'm working, I'm paying taxes and I want to purchase real estate. Now guys like me wouldn't be able to do it until they, you know, had permanent residence and, and citizenship and everything else. So that's usually where the focus is instead of the focus being okay, it, it looks like we're adding hundreds of thousands of people to the metro populations in Canada every couple of years. We probably need to add hundreds of thousands of housing opportunities to those markets. And you think about what that looks like for the real estate industry. That's a, that's a fantastic opportunity. You know, the volume of transactions is the true test of a market's viability not not the price growth or, or decline you know mm-hmm. what i mean you know thinking about that this the to go back to the searches we've kind of established gen z and younger millennials at least have dropped off a cliff in terms of looking for real estate it sounds like people mo- moving through the market which is basically what we've seen on the ground right that's those are the people who drove 2022 it's people that were in the market and kind of life life happens, right? Moving through the market. I'm curious to, you know, thinking about these immigration numbers and the high immigration numbers that Canada has, are we seeing at, with the foreign buyers two-year ban? How's interprovincial searches, I guess, the yeah. U-Haul kind of component to, to the REW search? And, and are there a lot of searches coming from outside of Canada? Yeah. So the outside of Canada search volume hasn't really changed very much. I think that is predominantly an investor type buyer anyway. And so it's probably good news that it hasn't changed that mm-hmm. much. The whole foreign ban on ownership thing is, is really a headline and not an actual policy. Like if you wanted to acquire real estate in a foreign country, it's not often you would do that as a like, private citizen individual anyway. You know, sure. you do that through different structures and all of those are still available to you. So I think that's a little bit of a red herring, you know. But if you if you look at What's happening with the kind of local market is certainly a, a significant bright spot for REW as a platform has been the growth of Alberta traffic. So it's not a market that we focused on significantly in the last two, three years. You know, obviously the crown jewel for a real estate platform business is, is the markets around Greater Toronto and, and that Golden Horseshoe. There's just so much real estate activity there. Um, that you want to be part of it. But 
Alberta, Calgary, and Edmonton in particular, and the regions around those two metros have been growing significantly. And we've kind of been pulled into it. You know, it's not even been that much of a proactive approach. There's been an increasing number of BC-based searches. And obviously, we're the biggest platform in BC. So who are they going to use to look for real estate in, in Calgary and right. Edmonton? It's going to be us. And so we've seen an expansion in those markets for us. And while real estate traffic is down pretty much everywhere else, including, you know, Ontario and BC, the real estate traffic, at least on our platform, has been going up. Now, I wouldn't say we're at, at a saturation point in terms of like market adoption. So there's an element of us just growing there. But there's also an element of that interprovincial migration, particularly from people in BC. And anecdotally, you see that happening. Like even in our business, and we're not a big team, but we've had three or four people move from Vancouver to either Calgary or Edmonton in the last. Right. And, and mainly because they want to access the real estate market opportunity. Mm -hmm. You know, we employ people in that demographic of sort of 25 to 40. They're all thinking about their futures. They all want to turn career success into, you know, personal life and personal prosperity. And real estate is a big part of that. And they feel priced out in this market. And so we see both the statistics and the kind of anecdotal evidence for this interprovincial move. And you see the price growth happening in those markets. Mm -hmm. So while the rest of the country is, is looking at declines or at least static prices, their prices have been moving forward. Now, it's at a lower base, so it's got more room to move forward. But that's really interesting to see some of the markets that are growing there. So it sounds like Alberta is a lot of activity from BC to Alberta, Simon. Can we talk about some of the other busiest searches in the lower mainland and the province? Like maybe let's start with the province. What, what kind of activity are you seeing? Yeah, so I mean, if you switch gears back to BC, I think the story, the two stories, the one is the demand story. We've been talking a lot about that. Okay, a little less demand in those neighborhoods outside of the metro core further away. And so the greatest declines in traffic have been in those areas, Fraser Valley and further out, Abbotsford, Chilliwack, those have seen the biggest declines. We've also seen markets that were really hot, like uh, Surrey come off. But then if you're talking about kind of closer to home and you're talking about Vancouver, then there's the other story. So forget about demand for a second. Like it's all about supply. So what markets are actually opening up new inventory significantly enough because if you look at a platform like ours people come there to look at real estate if there's no real estate to look at they don't spend any time there and so the listing volume in particular neighborhoods actually drives the engagement to some degree you know it's like hey i want to look here are there two listings there's something buy? to look at yeah, yeah right and so where we see listings we obviously see engagement and traffic and that's the story i think for vancouver and like, as you start to look at the lower mainland in particular so markets like South Vancouver, Carisdale, and to some degree, actually, if you go a little bit further out, Heritage Woods, Port Moody, that's just where like inventory has been opening up. And so you've got some of these projects and master plan communities coming online. Uh, you've got just more activity happening in those markets. And so the demand that is keen on a close to center real estate solution just gravitates to where those opportunities exist. Mm. So I wouldn't say it's that they are particularly popular. It's that there is actually opportunity 
for real estate purchases in those markets. If I understand correctly, the city of Vancouver is as much a story, not of muted demand, although presumably that's part of it, but more there's nothing. The inventory is so low and lackluster that it's just, it's, and that's kind of what, I mean, I was, uh, when, when we got back to the office, I was saying it feels almost stagnant to me. Like there's, we need inventory. Yeah. You're like what there's like, it's like what came first, the chicken or the egg type thing, but there's nothing coming online. That's exciting. Anyway, it's like, there's, yeah, it's just a frustrating kind of moment. Absolutely. And, and I think you were talking about that even as far back as October, Mm -hmm. it's like, you know, certain real estate in a certain market comes online and there's a flurry of activity around it. So it shows the demand is there, but until you actually bring the opportunity to the table, it almost seems like nobody's interested. And, and that's what we're trying to continue to encourage developers with, uh, in particular, people that are you know, bringing sales launches and projects to the market. You have to actually launch them to see the demand. You're not going to just see the demand without the inventory becoming real. And so I think that's a weird moment that we're in. And if you look at the actual listing, new listing numbers for the Greater uh, Vancouver Real Estate Board, Last week was was pretty low. Mm-hmm. I, I don't mm-hmm. think I've ever seen it that low. I haven't been here that long, but it's certainly much lower than any of the three or four years data that, that I have access to, maybe half what it was this time last year, mm-hmm. which is a little bit nervy. Although I did say I, I came to the office today and you know my uh, I get data on the property alerts that we send out, and property alerts are basically a proxy for new listings hitting the market. And there were definitely more today than there were a couple of days ago. So hopefully it's just a delay in listings hitting the market. But that's the, that's the biggest obstacle we have. Ironically, it's not the interest rate. It's, it's, it's listings hitting the market. This slow market, it's funny how it's like a great time to test the market. Like with a property. Yeah, with a price. Yeah. <laughs> like it's a fantastic time. And it's in the perception is as a, as a seller is you're sitting there saying, well, it's not a good time to sell, but really with these inventory levels going a little high. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, certainly put it on the market and see what you get. For sure. Right. You, you never know. I mean, as we were talking about, I think before the show started, anecdotally, it feels like there's traffic through open houses, there's interest in homes. If it hits and you've been waiting for inventory to drop and it's just not coming and something hits, you know, there's a good chance you'll find a buyer. Yeah. And, and we, we like to simplify everything. Hey, so it's like, oh yeah, sellers only going to sell if they can get their best possible price. Well, that's not really true. They're selling for a lot of reasons. And it's the same with buyers. It's like, oh, my kid's in that school. I'm driving 45 minutes a day just, you know, to, to pick him up and 45 minutes home. We need to move. And those are the things that drive real estate that I think people overlook. Right. Um, That's why transactions never go to zero. doesn't matter how bad the market is. We're only ever talking about it like dropping 30% or going up 10%. It's like people have to move. And there's always growing families, death, divorce, relocation. There's there's always those things, right? You know, just uh, before, I'm kind of curious to talk about it a couple of things that REW has going on. One is I know since we've talked last, you're moving into the mortgage space, which is, which is interesting. The rental, I'm not even sure how it's going because it seems like I'm so every time I, it's like there's, there's a couple different players in the rental space. I'm kind of curious to hear 
where you're at there. But before we go to that, this is more of just, uh, you know, as the president of REW, what are your thoughts on the back to work? Like, is, are you like from your <laughs> shop, but also just generally speaking, like it does feel like, you know, the, the real estate trends we've been talking about are suggesting, okay, people are at least hybrid model coming back to work. Like, are you, are, are you firmly in the camp? Are you like following Elon here, like back to work and, uh, you know, stop with, uh, lining up for coffees or is it kind of, is there a new model? Like where, where are you at with that? And, and I guess, what do you think? The implications of that are over the next couple of years and, and feel free to plead the fifth about <laughs> Elon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Look, I, I'm not sure I'm, I'm following anyone on this one. And I think that's part of the challenge is like, we didn't think about it before. It's like you ran an organization and people showed up and I guess that was an incredible privilege that we didn't think <laughs> we a lot about. Realize. You know, it's like, Hey, everyone's here. Awesome. We can do some real work together. And we're definitely missing something by not having that. There's certain teams and there's certain people that, that are maybe just as effective at home. But the problem is if one person gets to work from home, then everyone gets to work from home. And if one person happens to be at home and the other three are in the office, but they need to do a, a group thing, which happens all the time, like multiple times a day, then you might as well all be at home because it's a terrible experience to have right. one person that's not part of the conversation. And I think the, the problem is that there isn't a model to follow. Like I would almost prefer it if, if everyone said, yeah, Elon's way is the only way or, uh, you know, this is never going to come back to an office-centric work environment. We have to make this remote thing work, and we have to really focus on making it work. And so you get the support and practitioners and thought around it, and you can kind of follow a model. At the moment, it's like the Wild West. It's like anything goes. Yeah. Can you invite people back? Uh, can't you? Uh, uh, where do you hire people? I guess here. I guess anywhere. But probably here. Yeah. But maybe it, it, anywhere. It's just this real kind it's of like weird. It's like purgatory right yeah. now. And yeah. Uh, yeah, has anyone quietly quit yet at uh, REW? <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, you did say you've had more than one person move to Alberta. I'm wondering, are they still working? Like, is that part of the, we're still, we're moving to the Alberta chapter of REW or are we still working on the, the Vancouver? Because that's a bold move if you're, yeah. you know, what happens if two years from now it doesn't make sense? I guess you move back, uh, <laughs> but, but yeah, I mean, a part of that move is, is their personal decision to be there. And part of it is the opportunity that we open up for them to be there. Mm -hmm. And part of the way we make sense of that is that we're expanding and growing in Alberta. And so maybe it is better to have people there that are closer to the market and understand the market, particularly because of how local real estate is. Right. But yeah, in terms of the broader question, like, how do we see it panning out in 2023? It's very difficult. I don't see us all coming back to the office. Certainly it feels our organization's grown significantly in the last two, three years. So if we want everyone back to the office, that actually becomes like a capital investment decision. And you're making that completely at risk of the, the, the behavioral impact or, right. or acceptance of that. So it's like, yeah, we're all going to come back. No, no, we we don't think we should, or uh, we can get jobs that with other companies, you, you know, that don't make us right. come in. So it is difficult. 
I will say the silver lining is that we have been able to get talent that perhaps we wouldn't have been able to get if it was an office-centric environment. And at least a couple of people that we've hired in the last 12 months have been people that have joined us because their organization wanted them to come back to the office more often. Interesting. I've talked to more than one person, especially in the tech space, that are like, um, if they say I'm coming back, I'm quitting. Yeah. And, and you know, they've had a good run. Yeah. <laughs> they've got money in the bank and, uh, and I guess they have opportunities so they can, they, they have all the leverage in the world to, to do that. But I, 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 I don't know, maybe, maybe it's because I'm getting older, but I still go into the office every day. Yeah. I enjoy being so in the office. Yeah. I, I enjoy having conversations with people that I didn't plan to have. Like that's the point. I would, I, mean? I would quit if I had to work from home. Yeah. Yeah. Just thinking about, you never hear about the president of the company not wanting to come to the office. So, right. Like, I mean, but I think, and not because, you know, you're the boss. I think it's more because you're very engaged in the work. Like that it doesn't, you don't want to be in your sweatpants, you know, on your couch. And I, and I also think it's just, to be fair, it's that more generalist approach to work. And I think if you've got that broader horizon of what the organization does the different capabilities that it needs, the different types of, you know, someday you're a salesman, someday you're a marketing guy, some days you're having a tech discussion with specialists that are way smarter than you in that field, but you still need to be connected to it. Right. And I think people in leadership of organizations tend to be generalists. And so our approach to career development is all about access. You know what I mean? Right. Whereas somebody that is hyper-specialist in a role, and we've got lots of people, you know, whether it be a software developer or a product manager, maybe their perception of what they do is pretty narrow and they don't see themselves getting a lot of value by accessing other parts of the team or the organization. Mm. But my sadness with that is like they're really missing out on enriching experiences, number one. And number two, the leadership, kind of whether you like it or not, are going to be building relationships with the people that they see every day yeah, and not with the people they don't see. And I don't know how that's going to play out in three, four years time. But even now, it's like, oh, yeah, yeah that guy works right. with our team. It's like I missing resources. That dude for a while. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. and that's not, that's what, really what, not what a they've been up fair. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's that element. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I know they're doing a great job. I know they're working hard, but I don't know them. And that's a weird feeling, you know, oh, for right. them and for me. Yeah. And I do think that's going to hold people back in their careers. I'm not saying that it, it would be deliberate. I would just say it's, it's probably likely if you never have to turn up on the same field together and you're never really playing the same game. How is it that you develop the relationships that help you progress? So there's not a lot of talk about that. And that's why I say if, if it were clear what we were doing, like, hey, office is not a thing, you know, close it, shut it down, everybody moves online, then I think we'd be creating a, a more level playing field. Or, hey, guys, we're coming back to the office at least three, four days a week. If you haven't seen other team members that you work with in the last month, you know, fix it because it's really important. If we picked a side, mm. and now maybe I'm, maybe I'm giving myself advice for the year. <laughs> the well, problem is we don't think about it, right? It's almost like a taboo subject. It's like a, it's like a sacred cow that no one's really talking about. It's like, what should we do? 
but do you not think that a lot of it has to do with like the really robust job numbers we keep seeing? <laughs> like, I mean that you, right. that you don't have, like I feel, I saw somebody on Twitter, this was months ago, but you know, the, the, the recession that's coming, if you want to make yourself indispensable, don't wait to be asked to go back to the office, like start showing up every day and totally, and you know, get in front of people and make those connections, which it's if you're indispensable, advice. it's, yeah. it's, it's pretty obvious. Right. But I feel like we're still in a moment where it's it, like you said, make the capital expenditure and half the people say, well, I'm not coming in. And in fact, you know, maybe I'll look elsewhere and you lose half your team or something like mm. that because they have options. Yeah, totally. Uh, it's really difficult. I'm finding it personally difficult to figure out what advice to give, you know, whether I'm talking to my shareholders, rent at our place is coming up this year. We've got to figure out whether we move out, whether we stay, whether we expand. These cycles happen in business and it's pretty difficult to know what the future holds, but certainly there's no consensus right now. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, that's the challenge. The consensus seems to be people want their flexible free time, but they want it on their terms. And what that means is everybody has these free time requirements that overlap with everybody else's. And so you can't even agree on three days a week where we're all together or two days a week that we're all together because maybe one of the people that clashes with their schedule. Mm -hmm. And we're happy right now to tolerate that just as a system. We're, we're kind of tolerating that, that complete independence of schedule. And I don't know how sustainable that is. I think the pendulum is going to swing. Well, and, but it's interesting to take it back to real estate, right? Because it does seem then, I guess the verdict's out, right? Like there's no, there's no clear, like, I think Adam and me are both, I'm on the same, we're on the same page. I think that it seems like it has to swing back to, you know, you'd think you so. turn up at a, at a certain place at a certain time to, to be the most effective and efficient that you can be. And to build and to build the relationships that are going to progress your effectiveness in your current role and give you opportunity for right. your future role. Yeah, that's I think that's the piece that's, that's an interesting. That's yeah. an interesting point for sure. Simon, uh, you know we've kept you now for over an hour, and I know we know you're a very busy guy. One of the things that was maybe surprising to some people was REW getting into mortgages. Hmm. Can we talk a little bit about that? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Why? Why is REW getting into mortgages? I guess because. If you look at the home seeker's journey and the challenges that they encounter along the way, one of the things that always gave me pause is, are we actually helping the people that come to our platform do what it is that they want to do, which is enter the real estate market or move within the real estate market? And if you look at real estate platforms, despite them becoming prevalent in pretty much every market over the last 20 years, the, the de facto way that people engage with real estate prior to making a purchase decision, it still hasn't really changed the, any of the underlying fundamentals. Not like the market does a higher volume of sales because there's a real estate platform that people are using to engage with real estate. And so I think what that says to me is that real estate platforms are a great tool and service for the people that already have a level of education about the space, but maybe not a great tool or platform to bring new entrants into the market, at least at any meaningful scale. And so if you think about what's entailed in a real estate transaction, one is obviously learning about the markets, learning about the neighborhoods, associating yourself with the great realtors is going to give you a great experience. But the biggest 
part of it is a, it is the financial component of it. How does this thing work? You know, what down payment are we talking about? How does this whole CMHC thing work? Do, am I eligible for it or not? You know, is this a good price? Is this a bad price? My personal financial situation does, you know, can I get a mortgage from who? Uh, what would I have to pay? None of those things are really discussed early enough in the process. So if you're, if you're a real estate agent, you tend to get very good at finding the people that have already got those ducks in a row. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, do you want to purchase in the next three months? And are you pre-approved or do you know what the whole mortgage process looks like? Cool. Let's work together. Let's make it happen. What about the 80% of people that are not there yet? And so what we wanted to create was a bridge for those people into the real estate industry to help them understand their financial position. And that's why even though it's through the shape of a mortgage brokerage, it's actually more of a financial advice platform that, that is connected to the digital experience they're already having on REW. So we don't say lowest rates, get your mortgage with us. We say, let's talk about money. Let's figure out where you are in this process and let's help you get equipped and prepared for the process that's coming. And I guess that means we're moving into the, the mortgage brokerage business. And there is a business there. You know, there's a, there's a commission revenue opportunity business. But the way we like to see it is, uh, can the uh, revenue that we earn from happy clients that find mortgages through REW be reinvested in the financial education and intelligence of home seekers that are earlier on in the journey. And, and hopefully that, that means that home seekers are just genuinely better prepared for this real estate market and that we can start as a platform driving new entrants into the market that perhaps would have been ready in two years' time but are now ready sooner because they've had a good conversation with an expert in the field that can open up innovative opportunities to them because we don't just work with the marquee lenders we work with you know 100 different lenders and give them some innovative solutions that might suit them and kind of fit their bespoke needs so it's not significantly different mm. to the traditional mortgage brokerage but i think the purpose of it is different we we really want to elevate the opportunity for home seekers to get into the real estate market through good financial intelligence mm -hmm. So people on REW actually go on and I've seen, I've seen, I just haven't went through it, but for the listeners, they actually sign up and then somebody gives them a call and says, okay, let's talk about your finances. That's basically the. Completely. Yeah. yeah. So, so we've got a team of expert mortgage underwriters and that's the person you're going to speak to. You, you know, you're not going to talk to a call center or some, some uh, handling service, right? You're going to talk to an expert underwriter and they're going to tell you about the process that's going to unfold. They're going to, if you want to, they're going to expose you to different opportunities that are bespoke to you with certain lenders. And, and ultimately if you choose to work with them as your, as your mortgage broker, uh, they'll take you right through the process and they'll help you get a mortgage. But really where we focus is on that first part, which is giving people a great first touch point for the money conversation because yeah. it's still a bit of a taboo you know it's like the realtors don't really want to talk about money the home seeker doesn't really want to talk about money of course i'm worth uh, yeah, yeah. what i say i'm worth of course i can buy this house but they're not sure you know right but it's also kind of realtor 101 when you get in the business it's like qualify 
the buyer, right? Like, have you spoken to somebody? Do you actually have any idea what you can? And it strikes me that on REW, somebody's clicking around, you know, dreaming about what they can do. And it seems actually fairly obvious that the the qualifying process is useful for them as well. And at an early stage, right? Before, you know, you spend months dreaming about some house in Carisdale. Yeah, I mean, one of the most engaged with tools on our platform, and this is not unique to us, it's like anybody, is the mortgage calculator. It's right. like people are spending time trying to figure out how the mortgage process works by reverse engineering the rules that sit in a, in a form on a website. And we just allow them the next step, which is, hey, if you've got any questions about this, let's talk about it and let's equip you for the process. And that's really back to the mission of REW, which is you know, the, the best possible guide for your real estate adventure. And what is a guide if it can't help you with the biggest part of it, which is, hey, you're probably not going to buy this with your money. Let's talk about whose money can help you buy this. Right, right. Well, maybe we'll leave it there, Simon, but we do have this segment called the Five Wire, Five Quick Questions, Lighthearted, to end the show. Can you stick around for that? Sure, sure. The Five Wire is brought to you by Scalina Real Estate. Hey, that sounds familiar. Scalina Real Estate is a full-service real estate company serving Vancouver, offering comprehensive tried and tested buyer and seller systems. With over a decade in the top 10% of realtors in the lower mainland and a perfect five-star Google review, Scalina Real Estate can help with all your real estate needs. We also have an extensive network of the best industry professionals and trades right across the country. There's no reason to not get in touch. Head over to scalinarealestate.com to find out more. Okay, so question number one is, uh, I think we've, ha- we've had some of these questions before, but it's been a while. So uh, maybe the answer <laughs> See how much changed. I've changed. Yeah. You can yeah. sort of track my progress. <laughs> so number one is, what is one book that you've read recently that you would recommend for our listeners? So I'll switch gears on you completely here. The, this has almost no business or self-development benefit that I can find, but I really enjoyed a book called The Axe Handbook by, uh, I think it's an author, Buchanan Smith. So here I am, I find myself out here in the Pacific Northwest. It's a completely different environment to what I'm, I'm used to. And it's full of these tall trees everywhere. And I'm going camping, I think it was like in fall, the last, last uh, of the season. And I go past this bookstore and I pick up this book and, and all it is is a homage to axes, the humble axe. <laughs> So I read, I read an entire book, you know, cover to cover about things I didn't even know existed, like how the maple should be cut and, and what steel they make the, the ax heads out of. But I think what I really enjoyed about it was that even the humble tool that sits in the side of the shed can actually be something that's got like elevated craftsmanship and a true purpose. And so I went and bought like an old axe and it now hangs in my shed and I occasionally cut wood with it. So I'm slowly turning into a, a Pacific Northwest lumberjack type personality. <laughs> but, but yeah, I really enjoyed that book and it's a way to just escape my mind and realize that there's so much more out there. You know, and it, a little bit off topic, but, uh, but the Pacific Northwest, because I'm trying to remember, you, you're, are you a rower? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you read Boys in the Boat? I'm no. halfway through this book. Okay, that's about the... The U.S. team from Seattle that won the 1936 Olympics oh, wow. in Berlin, but it's all if it's I must it, check that out. Oh my God, it's it's a great book. I'm kind of halfway through, but it's give uh, me a little bit more credibility at the rowing club too. Nice, it's, nice. yeah, it's fantastic. I, I was actually thinking that you 
you might have read that, especially if you're kind of looking for stuff that uh, speaks to this area of the world. But anyway, in the last few years, Simon, what new belief, beha- behavior, or habit has most improved your life? That's a good, a good question. I think the most life-changing has been fatherhood. So my son's now five, and I mean that's a it's a roller coaster. You you were saying you're just recently off on paternity leave, you, right. you're a new family member, but yeah, that is completely change changes your approach. You see this little human develop; they are so connected to you in so many ways. Your behaviors change, like your approach to self discipline and just the sheer effort that you have to put into every day uh, escalates three times and that's good. It's you know? dramatic. Yeah. yeah. No, it's, it's a hell of a thing. And it's, it's funny because I try not to talk about it too much for fear of dissuading other people from having kids of their own. <laughs> right. But it is, it's a, it's a real deal. And, but now he's growing into himself and, and you can see this personality and this, this, this great character that he's got. And it's a privilege to be part of that. So I don't know if that fits that question, but fatherhood definitely has is, is been a life-defining moment for me. We've never had fatherhood. No. But that's a great one. Yeah. I think that, that makes a lot of sense. I was thinking in terms of the sheer effort, we were joking, Adam just got back to the office, but you were saying, what, you got back Sunday night and you almost got dropped off at two in the morning at the uh, office my flight instead came of going in. home. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My, my flight got in at 2 a.m. I was like, uh, yeah, we'll just drop me off. I'm going to sleep at the <laughs> office. sleep on the floor at the office to get away from life, life with two kids. Uh, totally. And that's after a vacation. That's, yeah. yeah. Oh, I need, yeah, I needed a vacation for my vacation, but it was, uh, but I, I love them dearly. Question number three. What have you been binge watching lately or a favorite movie recommendation? Uh, I, I, I've been watching some mindless espionage-fueled series. Uh, it's called Jack Ryan on Amazon Prime. Ah, right. Yeah, I just kind of slid into that over the festive season. I've been enjoying that. It's good, eh? I, I, that, that was a series of books, right, before? Yeah, so it's all Tom Clancy, I think, uh, mm. is, the, is right. the author. And so I, I think I must have read those 15, 20 years ago. And they're all great kind of espionage thrillers. The series is all based on that. And it felt quite topical because it was all around the tension in Czechoslovakia, Ukraine, Russia. So there was a whole sort of backstory that I think was quite timely. But yeah, it was just mindless uh, enjoyment. It's the guy from The Office, if you... Yeah, I know. Kevin. That's a hard... (laughs) No, it's not Kevin. (laughs) I'm just kidding. (laughs) No, it's, it's, I can't remember. I was thinking though that whatever that guy's name is, you wouldn't, I don't know. He'd be a hard guy to cast as that, but I think he probably does it well. He must, but yeah. uh, And I, what is his name? John Krasinski. Right. Right. He's the actor. Yeah. Yeah, He's totally different to what he was in the office. Yeah. He, he actually looks like he's, it's got some of the same overtures because he's he's an analyst. So like technically, he's the dude that's behind the laptop, and now he's flung into these these right. these, oh, okay. these field assignments, and he doesn't really know what he's doing, but he's extremely capable. And it's you know, it's sure. basically all of that. But it's good, fantastic. Favorite band or music? And this is coming from I should say a guy who's well worldly. 
Let's see. Do you have oh, some? yeah. I've been, I've been. <laughs> <laughs> so now you've pitched. So like, now you have to come up with some yeah, kind of yeah, world what music. could be a band? Yeah, do you yeah, like? Uh, yeah, exactly. Can you give me some some deep insights onto? <laughs> no, unfortunately, I've. Yeah, it is. I've been I've been way back in the you know sort of way back machine for the last uh, I want to say eighteen months or so. I lost my old man to COVID in twenty twenty one. It was a really confronting moment, but one of the things that you know, kind of helps me connect with that time in my life and with, with that guy is the music that he listen, listened right. to. So I'm sort of deep in, in all sorts of soulful, folky stuff, whether it's Edda James or Nina Simone or Paul Simon right. or uh, some of the Beatles, just a really, really cool, cool music. And I, I, that's kind of what I've been listening to for the last few months that's generally what we've been listening to as well i think i was gonna say it's that kind there's of a, worse worse spots to be music wise than uh than there yeah there have been some really cool documentaries as well that have been coming out about that at uh, you know time in music i think the one i watched most recently was about the chief rock and roll editor for rolling stone magazine oh, I, saw, if you watched I haven't watched it but i saw it and i was i think it's on my list of whatever oh it was brilliant and he's talking about you know he's he single-handedly interviewed pretty much everybody that was anybody in the last 40 years of music and and he talks about those experiences at you know at kind of that time really oh, cool sounds awesome i think that guy might actually be publishing a book soon too oh cool yeah last but not least simon something that you have purchased for under fifteen hundred dollars that uh, recently that has changed your life or had a positive impact on your life? A lot of these change your life questions. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, I've, I've started doing wood-fired food uh, because I bought one of these, these outdoor pizza ovens. So my wife and I bought that as a Christmas gift for each other. And so now I'm making far too many things that would be way easier to make in the <laughs> oven inside in a wood-fired pizza oven outside. Uh, and ironically, the hardest thing to make is actually the pizza. Yeah, you know, uh, they cook so quick. Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've had a few. I've had a few kind of remain in the pizza oven forever. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Well, we'll leave it there. But Simon, how can people find out more about what you're up to, and of course, REW? Uh, you can find me personally on LinkedIn. I'm always open for a conversation or a connection. So, so you can find me there. And REW, go to Real Estate Works rew.works or rew.ca and you'll see what we're up to not hard to find thanks so much for taking the time today yeah thanks so much sam thank you gentlemen hope it's a good year There you have it, folks, our discussion with president of REW, Simon Bray. Really enjoyed that conversation with Simon, Matt. Always great having him in Kokomo Studios. He's a, a three-timer on the Vancouver three-timer, Real yeah. Estate Podcast. I hope he'll come back. I think he will. I think he enjoys coming down. And our and he's a guy that goes to the office. We're guys that that live at the office. It, it's a convenient relationship It's with a Simon. convenient relationship. He got the last, this was a few weeks back, he got the last extra large t-shirt. He did. He also brought some swag, some REW swag. Yeah. I've and been rocking you, you, an REW t-shirt, you, which really? is actually, it's speaking of quality, almost matches V-Rep. Really? Eh? Huh? So Sonia took my, my REW shirt. Yeah. You, uh, it was a little she, small. She, no, no, it fit. <laughs> what are you getting at? 
It was, it was, you were like, it's a, it was a little drapey in the biceps. No, it was, uh, it was, I, I gave it to Sonia. It was a nice, but, but yeah. that, a lot of nice swag that they have just in general. Yeah, no, it was great. And it was great having them down. And that was a great conversation. So everything good here. What else do we have before we go for the day, Adam? Well, Matt, I just want to plug, uh, before we get to the website and everything, let's just plug Instagram one more time, because I feel like every single day we are putting something great on Instagram and you can go and you can check out those, uh, threads that we're doing right now. And another it, one I, will go out today. And in that, and, and here's what it is. It's, it's kind of the best insight we have from our conversations over 350 conversations with the best people in the industry. What we're doing is we're going back and memorable stuff for us specifically is what we're posting. And we're posting it in a way that it is so easily digestible. That's the goal, yeah. Uh, you can flip through it in three seconds, and it's a talking point at a dinner they party. Call it a thread. It's a little boost of inspiration. It's uh, maybe something that might help you make a decision for a purchase or a sell, but it is great, great, great content. Yeah, and let's just talk about inspiration for a purchase. Sure. Because Marcon is a friend of the show, yeah. local developer. They sponsor the show as well. Good people, smart uh, people. Good people, smart people. Let's talk about Hugh. Yeah. Because, I mean, Elmwood is, a, is another one of their projects, but just uh, Hugh specifically kind of got me excited last week because we, uh, they have some incredible, right. incredible promotions on. We've got this promotion with Mark on for another week. Essentially what it is, is Hugh has junior one beds, really nice, quiet side of the building for like low to this mid 500s with Port parking Moody. and storage. Yeah, exactly. And what one of the incentives that they have right now is, for clients of ours, 0% assignment fee. That's right. So you don't have to pay if you want to assign it. There's no fee associated with that. Second of all is the deposit's only 10, 10%, which is, is very attractive for, for people that want to just put down a small amount of money now. It completes in 2025. Late 2025. So this is, I like, I like the runway on that because obviously I feel like we're going to be in a different, obviously, interest rate environment by then. I would expect interest rates to have come down by then. So I feel like right now you get a bit of a, a deal and incentive. And I haven't even said what the incentive is. The incentive is it's a 5% decorating allowance at closing. Right. So 5% basically off of the price right now with, you know, what I think is already a great investor product. Yeah. And the one thing is about it is like, I always think about this when you think about the developers in the city or the best builders in the city. I mean, Marcon obviously is known now as a huge developer, but but they've been known as a <laughs> as a leading builder, right? For for for, for the best developers, of, for the best developers, <laughs> yeah. so they were the guys of, actually building it before. Well, this is it. You're getting like grade A products, so it's like you get the incentives, you get the grade A product, you get Port Moody, which uh, you know is is ever on everybody's we don't radar. Have to sell Port Moody. We don't have to sell Port Moody, um, and also the rents are insane. The rents are super high yeah. out there. So it, it, it is all around a great incentive. And right now they have inventory. I can promise you in a few weeks, I don't think they will. No. And, and here's the other thing. Before the 5% decorating allowance, the prices are super attractive. This is like a thousand bucks a foot. Yeah. For, and okay, let's just put it this way. Thousand bucks a foot. That's for junior one beds. Sure. Okay. So that's the, that's the, that's the high price per square foot. If you're an end user and you're thinking about this, like they the have stuff like in the, the eight, one eight, and nine, dens, uh, I, I, foot, right? It's yeah. like, it's unbelievable. The two bed and dens. It's really attractive pricing with these discounts, man. And the, obviously the play is this spring, 
we're in a, a really slow market. Take advantage and don't worry about those interest rates. It's uh, you're actually it makes a thinking lot of, sense. of buying one just to just just for your nights at Yellow Dog. You know, <laughs> what do they call that? A pied de terre. Yeah, <laughs> pied de terre yeah. by the brewery district. There, yeah. I didn't even think of that. Yeah. But it, it is. It caught our attention because this makes a, a lot of sense. But anyway, so that's Hugh. Let's talk about the website very quickly. VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. Head over there where you can sign up for the live wire, where you'll find out about things like Hugh and our back catalog and what's going on with the deal of the month and everything else Vancouver real estate podcast related. We also have, of course, Adam, private client services. Because Matt, if you are not using PCS, you're standing still while the rest of us power walk by. You get sold prices, days on market. You basically get realtor level information for free. It's available at your fingertips over at vancouverrealestatepodcast.com slash PCS. Sign up for your own free account. What a time to be monitoring the market. There's been a slight uptick in inventory. I feel like we recorded yeah. this at a time where it was really depressing. Simon was on, what, a couple of weeks back where it yeah. was like, whoa, early, this, early days of the new year. But this is, this is what, we, what we can expect now. We're coming up on early Feb, which is when the listings start to come. And usually we're going to see a, a pretty large spike in inventory right up until the end of March here which is why people, why people shop for real estate in spring, you know, and why people list. It's, it's kind of like shopping for a really nice jacket in fall. Yeah. Winter good time, jacket. Good time to buy. Winter jacket, late fall. I like yeah. it. Yeah. Except it's spring. If you want to talk about that or anything else, give me a shout at 778-847-2854 or Matt at Vancouver real estate podcast.com. Or, or maybe a nice pair of shorts in spring for summer. <laughs> or you can drive me at 778-866-4574 or Adam at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. You can also try the Kokomo line at any time. Info at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. Thanks guys for listening. Follow us at Vancouver Real Estate Podcast on Instagram. And yeah, we'll see you next week with another great show. Talk to you soon. Two faces for radio. Subscribe today. <laughs>